Good afternoon and welcome to the Legal Legal Show. This is your host, Tony Dodds. I'm an attorney here in Lakeland. To call in to the show, the number is 863-682-1430. That's 863-682-1430. To contact me at my office, the number is 863-688-2389. That's 863-688-2389. My office is conveniently located at 904 South Missouri Avenue in Lakeland. That is directly behind the old Southside Dry Cleaners that's on South Florida Avenue. My building is directly behind the Southside Dry Cleaners. Today, I thought I would give some comments on the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, and I'm sure everybody goes either, oh boy, or oh God, more of this. And then at the end, if we have time, I'm going to talk about crimes of the holiday season. Yes, it is the season for that once again, but we'll see how things go based on the the trial analysis that I want to try to do. And, and folks, I'm going to preface this with a couple of things. One, I am not licensed to practice in the state of Wisconsin. So some of what I'm going to be doing is giving commentary based on Florida-type law, which means it would not be binding on Wisconsin whatsoever. Uh, the other part is to make sure there is a disclaimer in there because I, I some of this stuff is completely foreign to me that they are doing in Wisconsin. You know, the basic bones of the trial is very similar, uh, but some of the stuff that they've done as far as the laws themselves and the charges they really don't mesh up really well with anything that we've got here. And so I figured I'd hit on some of those things. But the biggest thing I wanted to do, and very little of this has been made of with the media, I guess they think it's it's boring, is what he's actually charged with. I mean, we hear he's charged with murder. Well, okay. There's one count of actual homicide out of the six counts that he was charged with that that's the direct charge. The others are all fringe, uh, tangential or fringe-type charges. They are not the direct homicide-type charges. Uh, as everybody knows, that this is in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Um, if, if you've not seen any of this, then some of this is going to seem very foreign to you. Uh, and I have not had the opportunity to watch the whole trial, nor am I going to probably sit down and do so. Uh, I, I actually abhor watching a lot of trial work that's done. Um, and the reason I do that is I'm critical of what's being done during it. If I can sit down and watch it just for the pure fun, that would be one thing. But having done this now for 38 years, or excuse me, 35 years, it's very difficult for me to separate my reality uh, from just trying to be entertained or watching what's going on in somebody else's trial somewhere else. I tried to do that on, on Veterans Day a little while back because there was a trial going on and it wasn't, uh, Rittenhouse's trial was going too, but they weren't showing much of it uh, that particular day. There was another trial in which they had some video testimony being given and it was the one up in Georgia. And I got up and I had to get out of the room for a little bit because it quite frankly, it was just dull. Um, and not all trials are exciting all the time either, but this was videotaped deposition testimony of the property owner in that case, where an issue had come up concerning a person being shot that had been on the property and my God, it was boring and I couldn't deal with it anymore. So I just got up and started doing something else. And that's another reason though. I don't want to see this with Rittenhouse. Most of what you're seeing is chopped up by the news media, depending on which particular channel you're watching. Um, I understand, although I did not see it directly today, 
that CNN presented the entire prosecution oral argue, or closing arguments, but then cut up or did not show all of the defense closing arguments. Okay, folks, I, I mean, that's just not proper journalism that's trying to sway people's opinions. And so as for those reasons, I'm probably not going to try to sit down and watch this whole thing. Plus, quite frankly, I've got a lot of other work to do in my own life. Uh, but I, I think it's important for people to at least understand some of the stuff you're not getting off of the news media, and that would be the actual charges themselves and then the potential defenses out of it and the issue that came up during the trial concerning the prosecution's comments that were clearly in violation of the United States Constitution. And so I wanted to go into those things because I think those are things that that people might be more interested in that they haven't simply heard enough about. Uh, Kyle is was a 17-year-old at the time this occurred. Um, he was at a location away from his home uh, carrying an AR-style type gun um, in a neighborhood where there was clearly some problems going on at night. And it was during a time of civil unrest uh, across the country, but especially in that neighborhood. Um, and, and so he ended up, basically, I think the, the way to analogize this is he ended up shooting three people, and two of them ended up dead, one of them hurt. Uh, and I, I want to go through the counts on this and so that we can make sure that everybody understands what he's actually charged with uh, in the first count that was presented, and there's five felony counts, the first count that was presented is called a first-degree reckless homicide use of a dangerous weapon. Uh, about the closest thing that I, I think that I, and that involved the death of a guy by the name of Rosenbaum, I think that the closest thing I can analogize that to here in Florida would be a second-degree murder or maybe a manslaughter. It's just different terminology. Uh, but it's it's still a homicide. It's called, but it's by reckless use or a reckless homicide. Um, the judge has denied a state request for an additional instruction on second degree reckless homicide. And again, I have no way of being able to help you with differentiation between a first and second degree reckless homicide. Uh, the defense has raised the self defense issue on this, and. There is also going to be an instruction uh, given by the court as to whether Rittenhouse uh, provoked Rosenbaum into chasing him because provocation would then defeat the self-defense argument. We're going to go into more of these aspects after the break. You've been listening to Talk Radio 96.7 FM and 1430 AM. Welcome back to The Legal Legal Show. This is your host, Tony Dodds. To call in, the number is 863-682-1430. That's 863-682-1430. To contact me at my office, the number is 863-688-2389. That's 863-688-2389. As I had indicated at the beginning of the show, I thought we'd go into a little bit more in-depth of what Mr. Rittenhouse is actually charged with. Um, and, and try to analogize it as best I can to what Florida does with these types of charges. It's very difficult because it is a different state, and I am not licensed in that state. So any of this commentary is, is just me purely trying to explain as best I can 
what he's got that's against him at this point. Um, the first count we've already gone through. The second count is first degree recklessly endangering the safety uh, of another with the use of a deadly weapon, and that involved a Richard uh, McGinnis. He, the jury will be instructed on a lesser of second degree uh, recklessly endangering safety. The difference between first and second, again, I cannot tell you because I it's foreign concept to us on something like this. I would say that first degree recklessly endangering the safety uh, with use of a deadly weapon could be analogous to uh, aggravated battery down here or potentially an attempted uh, manslaughter or attempted murder type charge, depending on how it's worded and its potential punishments. But I, it's got to be something in that kind of ballpark uh, for purposes of the uh, second charge. The third charge is the first-degree intentional homicide, and that was on death, uh, the death of uh, Mr. Huber, H-U-B-E-R. That is the most serious charge. Uh, that carries a mandatory life sentence if Mr. Rittenhouse is convicted. The other charge is not necessarily a mandatory, but that one does carry a mandatory life sentence if convicted. That would be analogous, I believe, to our first-degree murder charges here in Florida. Uh, they're lessers of second-degree intentional and first-degree reckless homicide will be given. Uh, the second-degree intentional, I'm assuming, would be very similar, and I believe to be very similar to our second-degree murder charge. So that's the second charge that he's facing uh, as it would relate to the charges, or that's the third, I'm sorry, the third charge that he's uh, facing out of the five felony cases. The fourth one involves first-degree recklessly endangering the safety, uh, use of a weapon against an unknown male. Uh, they've listed him or referred to him as the jump kick man as part of the description. Now, folks, I hate to tell you this. I've never heard of anything like that being done down here in Florida. You either know the person or you don't. If it's an unidentified individual, they will just simply refer to him as an unidentified individual. But it is extraordinarily hard to charge a person with recklessly endangering the safety of an unidentified person. I'm not going to say it's impossible. It's almost unheard of, though. Usually you want to have an alleged victim in the case so they can come forth and say, no, I didn't give permission for that person to act in that manner towards me. Now, some people say, well, clearly he didn't give him permission to shoot at him or to hit him with something, whatever. I don't really care. In this state, it is very odd that you would ever see a charge involving an unnamed individual. It can happen. I've seen it happen. It's just very odd and very unusual, especially when you've got all these other charges. It's almost like that thing gets thrown in just as surplusage. Uh, again, first degree, recklessly endangering the safety uh, involving the use of a weapon could be something similar to an attempted manslaughter, attempted aggravated battery, Something in that, that realm is, is the analogous type charge down here in Florida. The fifth felony is the attempted first-degree intentional homicide use of a weapon involving a guy by the name of Grosskrauts. 
Now, this was after shooting Huber, Grosskrauts, and I'm probably saying his name completely wrong because I butcher people's names like that. We'll call him Grosskrauts, Grosskrauts, whatever. He pointed a gun at Rittenhouse's head. Rittenhouse then shot him. This is the guy that we've seen on TV talking about, yeah, I pointed a gun at him first and then he shot me. Well, no kidding, folks. If somebody points a gun at you, that's a natural response if you have a gun that you shoot back or you shoot first. Uh, that's the one that it really hit home with a lot of folks watching this, that self-defense is a very viable defense, at least for some, if not all, of these charges based on the testimony that's been presented. Uh, as lessers to be given on that is attempted second-degree intentional homicide and first-degree reckless endangerment and second-degree reckless endangerment. The state's trying to get as many lesser-included offenses on these cases as they possibly can in order to try to it's, – it's the old shotgun effect where you try to shotgun something hoping something works – the other analogy that I give is we hear people say, okay, we're going to throw all this stuff up on a wall and see what sticks. And I think most people know what I'm talking about when you throw it up on a wall and see what sticks. You're hoping that you'll be able to get him convicted of something. So you, you try to get as many lesser offenses as possible. Uh, even if, that way, if you don't get your major offense, you get the lesser offense. So in this particular case, they're asking, the state's the one asking. Sometimes the defense wants the lessers because uh, in a case where the defendant is looking at serious charges, the defense wants the lessers to be able to try to get a lesser sentence or, or get the jury to find them guilty of something less in order to be able to try to get a better resolution for the defendant. But in this case, it's the state that's asking for most of these lessers. Yes, caller, go ahead. Uh, yes, this is uh, James from Auburndale. I have an interesting point. I just got on, so I don't know if you talked about this or not. But I applaud that judge for nailing that prosecutor for trying to set a mistrial. Oh, well, and, and I, did they do anything additional with that today? Because I, I have do, not. I do not know. All okay. I know is that it was, I mean, that's what happened to me. This guy, the prosecutor was literally just doing his best and a judge told him, said, you don't do this. And yet he still did it. Yeah. Well, and, and let me tell you, James, that was part of what I was getting ready to go into. So I'll go ahead and hit it now. Um, the judge had already made rulings on a lot of this stuff. And some of the stuff that the state up there was trying, the prosecutor was trying to put in. I mean, this is like a second year law school auto, uh, uh, student would know you can't do this. It, it violates the Constitution directly. So I understand why the judge was getting seriously irritated with him because this is supposed to be, or you would hope at this point, it's a prosecutor that's been doing this for years. Usually you don't get assigned to a homicide case, especially something that's going to be a nationally publicized homicide case. If you haven't been doing it for quite some time and you know what rules you have to fall within, uh, didn't you one time say, though, uh, when I was talking last time, that you said that there are people who, you know, in your field that do that purposely. Well, yes. And, and that's why it makes me so upset. And I'll hang up and listen to your response. Oh, no, that's fine. And, and you're exactly correct. And quite frankly, based on the way the judge has dealt with this case so far, I think he thinks that um, the actual prosecution was doing it intentionally to tank their own case, hoping they could get a retrial another day. 
The issue then is if they're intentionally doing it, and he believes they're intentionally doing it, under the rules in Wisconsin, the court can grant the mistrial with prejudice, meaning they cannot rebring the charges against Mr. Rittenhouse. And what that is basically stating is the court believes that the state prosecutors were intentionally trying to force a mistrial or trying to uh, cause the court to declare a mistrial, and as a result, this, the appropriate sanction would be then to bar them from further prosecution. Um, I can tell you of an instance uh, where I was not directly involved. I was simply watching a trial in another state because I was handling a case in that state. It was actually in South Carolina. And I watched a prosecutor on at least two, maybe three occasions, intentionally throw the jury to where they had to mistry it, start over again. And I called him to the carpet later myself, kind of just in a, a, a nonchalant fashion as best I could, though, when I was meeting with him, because the case ended up being declared a mistrial and they ended up retrying it another day. I asked him, I said, why were you doing that? It was clear to me what you were doing. And he said, well, you're the only one in the courtroom that figured it out. And what he was doing was he was trying to tank the jury selection because he had witness problems. Some of his witnesses were either longshoremen or fishermen off on a boat, and they couldn't come in for the trial. He could not go forward. So rather than dismissing the charge, he was trying to push it off by screwing up the voir dire process repeatedly. And for whatever reason, neither the judge nor the defense attorney figured out what he was doing. I've seen it happen. I've never been in a situation where I believed that the prosecution had done such of, of that. There's been other cases where uh, a court has reserved ruling on a motion I might have made during the course of a trial uh, based on the testimony that was presented. And part of the reason they would do so, and that I believe is why this judge in this particular case has reserved ruling on the motion for mistrial, is the judge, quite frankly, is hoping the jury has a certain verdict so he doesn't have to rule on it. Uh, if the jury finds Mr. Rittenhouse not guilty, the whole request for a mistrial becomes a moot point, meaning it doesn't have to be addressed. If they find him guilty of anything, the judge could then revisit that, that motion uh, and he could actually declare the mistrial with prejudice as to any charge they found him guilty of or any charge that they may have... Uh, reached a hung verdict on or a hung jury on. And I, I think I've explained what that is, but that's where you don't have a unanimous verdict. So the court has reserved on it at this point rather than just doing it on his own so that it doesn't make it look like he's imposing his judgment. He's trying to leave it up to the jury as best he can. We're going to talk about this more after the break. You've been listening to Talk Radio 96.7 FM and 1430 AM. Welcome back to The Legal Legal Show. This is your host, Tony Dodds. To call in, the number is 863-682-1430. That's 863-682-1430. To contact me at my office, the number is 863-688-2389. That's 863-688-2389. We've been talking about the Kyle Rittenhouse trial and the actual charges against him, uh, which honestly has is, is been either not addressed at all or very uh, lightly by the bigger news media. And that's why I thought it would be important to try to at least touch on these things. I'm doing the best I can with these crimes simply because, again, some of this stuff is just not the same as it is here in Florida. 
So I'm trying to give an analogy of what we would have here in Florida um, as it would relate to the type of charge uh, that he's facing on these. We've gone through most of the felonies, or actually all of the felonies at this point, uh, including the charge of knowingly and endangering uh, the safety uh, of a person that's unknown uh, with a weapon. That, that just boggles my mind. I'm having a hard time still wrapping my head around that one. The last charge that he was facing, and I'm, I'm using the was as it is meant to be used, uh, was that of being under 18 years of age with a dangerous weapon, meaning him being in possession of a dangerous weapon under the, years, uh, under the age of 18. One small problem with that, in Wisconsin, the law is apparently not very well written and for there is an exception within that law for somebody between the years of 16 and 18 years of age as long as the firearm is within or is of at least a certain length. And the judge was struggling with it a little bit at one point, determining whether or not there was evidence of the length of the firearm. Turns out there was evidence of the length of the firearm, and based on that length being put in, the judge in, and the state actually had to concede that length uh, that the uh, ultimately that charge was dismissed today. So the jury will not have to decide that that issue. Uh, yes, go ahead, caller. Yes, yeah, I I was in the uh, Army Reserve back during the Huff riots in Cleveland, and once you get in a riot, it starts to grow, grow legs. It just you're you're like fighting a bunch of zombies. The people have no brain, and they don't stop until they've either destroyed everything, killed people, or Looted. Well, and I think some of the things we always hear at that point is like mob justice or mob violence, whatever you want to use on this. It's a mob mentality, so to speak. And it gets very chaotic from what you see, at least in these videos. Um, I've avoided some situations that we even had here in Lakeland. It became mob-oriented down in, back last year uh, in downtown Lakeland. And LPD and the Sheriff's Department handled it very succinctly and very quickly and got it under control. Um, but you're right. It becomes, uh, for lack of a better word, it's just like a mob, um, mentality and everything grows and gets out of control at that point. And a lot of the participants, as you indicated, I wouldn't necessarily call them zombie oriented because they clearly move faster than what we would see in most zombie movies. The only way you stop them sometimes, I know we had M14s and they didn't give us any ammo, of course, and we were scared to death because they were throwing beer bottles at us and everything, you know, and what can you do? I have (laughs) never understood, and please don't take this wrong, why any government agency is going to issue a firearm to somebody that is supposed to be protecting either the city or businesses and doesn't let them have some sort of either ammunition or some sort of propellant even that would get the mob under control. Uh, To issue a gun that has no ammo in it to you, I I don't understand that whole thought process. I really don't. Well, it all came from Kent State. I mean, you know, they were so afraid we might shoot somebody. Well, okay, then don't give you a gun at all. Just, you know, hand you a billy club. That'd be true. That'd be good, but... You know, we were glad to get out of there. Well, your problem with it is, what if one of them takes one of those guns from you and actually has ammunition for it and loads it themselves? Right. Well, if somebody's charging and you've got a gun, you only have one choice. Stop them. 
Yeah. Shoot them. You know, you, otherwise, they're going to get your gun and you're in trouble. But if you have no ammo in it, they can get the gun. That's true. And so that's why I'm trying to stress here. And one of these guys has admitted he was reaching for the gun, or the video shows he's reaching for the gun. Yeah, well, if somebody gets your gun, I mean, you're pretty well done for. So you, you never uh, release your firearm. No. That's the number one rule on something like this, is if you have a firearm, you do not let go of it. Because the guy could have got it, and he could have went crazy and killed people yeah. like crazy, you know. I agree. But don't put yourself in a situation you, you're unprepared for and can't get out of. You know, I agree with you there, and I don't have a problem with that thought process whatsoever. The only issue, though, is is that a criminal behavior on the part of Mr. Rittenhouse or just pure-blown pure you know, stupidity from his age? Yeah, well, you know, he thought he was doing good and didn't realize what trouble, what situation he's getting into. He probably was never actually in a riot. I, I'm sure he has not been. And yeah, it just overwhelmed him, I think, and all of a sudden he yeah. found himself. Well, I, I, have, I do a thing called Dead or Alive, and I say if you ever get caught in a riot, get a sign and start marching with the rioters until you can sneak out. <laughs> well, I'm not sure that works, though, depending on who's on the other side of the riot. Uh, that's true. <laughs> so... I, the best advice is don't put let yourself be put in one of those yeah, positions. Don't get to caught in there. I mean, yeah. I was caught in Philadelphia in a in a scary, scary riot. Yeah. And I admit it this time I was carrying a concealed weapon without a permit, but I'm sure glad I had that weapon with me to protect my wife and my kids. I I totally understand that, and you know, yeah. it's there's an old adage I'd rather be uh, tried by twelve than carried by six. Yeah. Luckily, we were able to uh, find a way out of the mob and. Uh, get to our car and get out of there. Well, sounds good, and I'm glad you were able to yep. do that, and thank you for calling in today. Thanks. Bye-bye. So, going back to where we were at on this, the judge has dismissed the actual charge of Mr. Rittenhouse uh, being under 18 years of age with a dangerous weapon, and quite frankly, uh, a lot of the talking heads on TV, and that's what I call them, is the, the pundits, the so-called experts that you'll hear on there, which... Uh, the minute I start listening to some of them, I'm going, that's no expert. That's just somebody being paid to give an opinion. But uh, long and the short of it is a lot of them thought that was actually the best charge that the state had going for them. And now that one's gone. So it's going to be very interesting to see how this case ends up turning out. I know they were doing closing arguments today. I don't know if they finished them or not yet today. Um, I'm sure they will finish them up by tomorrow and the jury will be instructed and they'll start their deliberations. Uh, so it will be, it will be interesting to see how it plays out. It's my understanding. And again, this is from national news media sources that they have already activated 500 national guardsmen in the state of Wisconsin to provide security for whichever way the verdict goes on this. Um, obviously if it goes one way, they're going to need them a lot. For, for almost dead certain, so to speak, where if it goes the other way, then maybe not so much disru civil disrest will occur. So I, I, it will be interesting to see how it plays out. I'm going to kind of try to follow it as much as I can this week, but at the same time, I've still got my own hearings to do uh, with court tomorrow, court Wednesday, court Thursday, and court Friday. So uh, I don't. it's going to be interesting to see how long the jury is out on this thing, too, because they still have – five felony charges to have to decide, as well as all of the lesser offenses. So a quick verdict might be a good verdict for the defense. It's kind of the opposite way most of the time. A lot of times a longer verdict 
goes towards the defendant. I think in this case, if it's a quick verdict, it might be a defense verdict. If it takes several days, that means that they may be hung up or they're really seriously considering some of the lessers on some of these charges, uh, in which case that might not be so good for Mr. Rittenhouse. It just kind of depends on how it plays out. All right, we also talked about going into holiday crimes. Uh, I've done whole shows on this before. I, I don't think I need to do that, but it, it is the season that we're going to see certain crimes uh, that we need to be cognizant of that affect us. If you're a business owner, obviously theft is going to be something that we're having to watch out for this year as, as much as any other year. Uh, people stealing stuff for Christmas uh, or just committing thefts to be able to have money for their families too, and I'm not saying that that's right, but there are some that do that. That's their occupation in life. Well, they increase their occupation, so to speak, as they go, simply because it's their way of making money. It's an illegal way of doing it, but it is a means by which they do it. I've got more on the holiday crimes after the break. You've been listening to Talk Radio 96.7 FM and 1430 AM. Welcome back to the Legal Legal Show. This is your host, Tony Dodds. Uh, to call in, the number is 863-682-1430. To contact me at my office, the number is 863-688-2389. That's 863-688-2389. During the break, uh, and this is kind of reverting back to the Rittenhouse case, uh, during the break we had a caller call in that didn't want to necessarily go on the air, but she did have a, a question or at least brought up the aspect of jury intimidation. And that is a very real problem, uh, particularly in cases like this, as well as the case that is being tried in Georgia that I referred to earlier. And in the days gone by, jurors in something like this type of situation, at least here in the the Lakeland area or Polk County area, Bartow area, we would have probably gotten into a point of – where you sequester the jury. And people go, okay, what's that mean? We literally would have them put up in a motel, undisclosed motel, uh, and they would basically have no contact with the outside world until the case was done. I don't, I don't know what their rules are in Wisconsin or Georgia, if you want to go into that case a little bit, but it is a real issue, and I, I became... I became aware of some of the problems with the Georgia case last week. Uh, again, I was watching part of it because it was the only thing on TV when I was there. And it, it came up that some of the jurors were being filmed coming in from the parking lot into the courthouse. And it was causing at least one or two of the jurors a lot of discomfort out of that because they were afraid that was going to then be used to target them after the trial. And the court had issued some preliminary orders to the media as it would relate to disclosure of information about the jury panel, very succinctly limiting what could be released to the public. And so in order to try to avoid any jury intimidation when you do not sequester a jury, the courts do have the authority to limit how much the press can comment about the jury itself. They can say it's it's 
Out of a 12-member jury, they could say there's 10 white people and two blacks. They could probably give the sexes. They could say it's six males and six females. Uh, But they can't give any further information than, than that sometimes because we're trying to help preserve those jurors' anonymity while they're in the process. Uh, and as the judge last week was succinctly talking about it, he has to balance the freedom of the press and the freedom of speech associated with the press with the safety concerns of the people that are serving as jurors and the rights of the defendant and state to have a fair trial. It's a huge balancing that they have to do. For purposes of keeping a jury to a point where there should not be any intimidation, one of the best ways is to sequester a jury. It is not done very often anymore. In fact, almost never. And that that can present some real problems because even though a juror is told you're not to read anything about this on uh, in the newspaper, you're not to listen to anything during any news reports, it can still happen. Or they can hear something from somebody they know if they're not sequestered. And so it is an issue, and it, it, if a juror ended up issuing uh, or going along with a certain vote and then come along afterwards and said, look, I really didn't want to vote that way, but I felt like I was threatened into it or intimidated, and here's why, it does create a huge mess for the court system to have to sort out. And then they have to decide, is it enough to overturn whatever verdict they reach? Now, if they reach the not guilty verdict, it's probably not going to ever get retried again. It's not going to get overturned, and the person's not going to be subject to being tried again. Again, we get into double jeopardy issues as part of the problem there. But if they felt like they had to convict because of pressure within the community and they really didn't feel like there was enough evidence to, there would have to be a showing to the court that that verdict was not a lawful verdict the way it was reached in order to be able to have it overturned. So that kind of touches on the jury intimidation. I may do a bigger, a, a better analysis of that on another show sometime, go into a little bit more detail. So I want to quickly again go back to the holiday crimes because we've kind of talked about theft already. I mean, retailers, wholesalers, everybody's got to be careful with theft at this point. you got to be careful around your own homes, your cars. Make sure your cars are locked, folks. I can't believe how many people, car, uh, people say their car got broke into, and I go, well, the, was it locked? No. Well, if it's, I don't care if it's in your driveway at your home. Lock your car. I understand that we shouldn't have to do that, but unfortunately, it's the smart thing to do. I, I never leave my car unlocked unless I'm going back into the house right quick to get something and come right back out. And even then, I feel very uncomfortable because I want it locked when I'm not there with it. If I'm at the courthouse, it's locked. If it's at my office, it's locked. And I'm telling you, one of the safest things you can do to keep your vehicle from having a problem is lock it. I've represented so many people that took stuff out of cars that were simply not locked. They went through the neighborhood checking to see which ones were, and they would go into the ones that weren't locked. It's easy. Uh, Some of the other offenses that we see, obviously DUIs start picking up around this time of year because once we get into the holiday here with Thanksgiving, we start hitting Christmas parties after that. People get into the festive mood and they want to go out and have drinks with their friends. And especially this year, since last year, a lot of people were still locked down and didn't feel comfortable going out. They're going to want to go out this year. And so 
DUIs is going to be one of the things that if you're out on the road, be cognizant of, of those around you. If you're going to go out and drink yourself, find a way home without driving yourself. I'm trying to save you my fee that you're going to be paying me to be able to do it. And yes, that's not in my best interest, but it's in societal best interest. Find a way home. Use Uber or a a cab or any of those sources that have uh, drivers that can get you home. Drug cases. Yes, drug cases even pick up during the holiday because people get uh, in one of those festive moods sometimes or they get depressed. I mean, it's the opposite effect. If they got nobody around, Uh, They get depressed, and they end up starting to take drugs to try to relieve the depression, and it just mounts the problems. Uh, Some of the other issues that we deal with, burglaries. And a lot of people go, well, that's theft-related. Well, it is, but it's even more serious. They're breaking into places. If you've got a bunch of Christmas packages in your car, even in your driveway, don't leave them in there overnight. Take them out. Bring them into your house. Even if you've got to reload them in the next day to take them somewhere, it's stupid to leave it in your vehicle because people are going to see it. And guess what? You've just made yourself a target. So it, residences, people are getting their, I mean, they'll still get them broken into. There's people that don't even lock their homes. Lock your home, whether you're there or not. We go in our, our house. As soon as we're inside, I'm locking the door. And so is my wife or any of our kids that come over. We do not leave the door unlocked. You don't know who's coming up. I can tell you that in my driveway last week, I had an incident where two young punks came up to my house, I don't know who they are, and started acting very suspiciously, had parked right in front of our two vehicles in our driveway. This is in broad daylight, folks. It's not after dark. And one of them says, I'm going to do you a favor. And I said, sport, this is a no soliciting neighborhood. You need to leave. And... So he turned around to leave at that point. Him and his buddy got in their car, but on their way out of the the neighborhood in front of my house, they're flipping me off of the window down and telling me to do something to myself, and I think y'all can figure out what that was. They were there for no good. I was able to get enough of the license plate to be able to communicate it to police. So they at least had it where they could try to find these guys and at least talk to them and say, don't ever go back to that guy's house again. But secondarily, to find out what they were up to. Because I don't need a favor from somebody like that. I don't even know who they are. I anticipate they were there for no good, and so did my wife. She watched everything as well. Fortunately, we have our heads on and knew what we were doing to be able to try to defuse it early rather than letting them get any closer to us, which could have led to a very bad thing. Long and the short of it is, you don't know who you're dealing with on something like that, especially if it's somebody you don't know. The other crime that we see a lot of over the holidays, and a lot of it is not so much before Christmas, but it's after Christmas, and that's domestic violence batteries, or just batteries in general. Um, During the holiday, you'll see batteries because people get drunk, they get rowdy, and they get stupid. After the holiday, sometimes they didn't get what they wanted for Christmas. Uh, That leads to the, the domestic violence batteries. It also can lead to divorces, but... Talking about the criminal issues alone, uh, domestic violence increases over the course of the holidays because of the stress of finances of the holidays. Uh, People feel like they didn't get treated right over the holiday. Or, again, alcohol enters into it. And some people, you add alcohol and it's instant something else. And it's it's a bad recipe. So with domestic violence cases on the rise, that's another issue we see. 
I know that this is not an all-inclusive list, but it's the crimes that we see the most of during the holiday season. Theft, batteries, drugs, burglaries, and then DUIs. Of course, DUIs are extraordinarily serious because somebody's propelling a two-ton vehicle down the, the highway, and they're doing it at a time when they're not supposed to be driving or shouldn't be driving because their normal faculties are impaired, and it puts all of us at peril. So if you've been drinking, don't drive. If you've been doing drugs, that's your own stupidity because it's going to lead to other problems. And avoid uh, circumstances where you could be the subject of a theft or a burglary. And if you get mad at somebody, walk away. It's not worth it. Now, if they start swinging at you, you have no choice but to defend yourself. But otherwise, you should walk away from situations and do not let them escalate. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. Have a good holiday next week. You've been listening to Talk Radio 96.7 FM and 1430 AM.